good morning, and uh, if I'm the first person to say it this morning, uh, thank, uh, happy Thanksgiving, because it's coming up in just a few days, and I know that I have a lot to be thankful for. Raise your hand if you have a lot to be thankful for this year. I know that I do, and one big thing that I'm thankful for is the opportunity to come here today and share this message. I'm thankful for Pastor Seth to give me the opportunity to share. This is a topic that's very uh, heavy on my heart, very uh, dear to my heart, and I believe it's very dear to the heart of God as well. Over the last few weeks, we've been in our series of rhythms, and uh, over the past, what, I guess three weeks, we've talked about rhythm in our time, finding a usefulness in our time, doing, doing the things that we need to be doing when we need to be doing them. We've talked about rest, and we've talked about work. And this, uh, this final se- uh, sermon in this series is going to be on the topic of worship. Worship is, is very dear to my heart. Worship is very, uh, a very serious thing. And I, I think you guys can agree with me today whenever I say that one of the most difficult things for, for a Christian to find rhythm in is worship. Can we agree with that today? We're, rhythm in our life, worship. And I'm not talking about rhythm on a Sunday morning. I'm not saying that, uh, that our worship team doesn't have rhythm. They do. We have an incredible worship team here, don't we? incredible worship team and and whenever we come together they create such an atmosphere of worship that it's so easy for us to kind of get caught up in that and in those moments it's so we become so close to God we feel like that's what it's all about but sometimes we make an association that worship is about these isolated times that we come together and we worship together and you know if we read through scripture there's all kinds of places where it shows that there's something about worship Sunday morning is a way that we worship, but when we're really talking about worship, it's something different. It's something much deeper. And uh, I, I began to pray and ask God, where do you want me to start with this? Because I think this is a serious topic. Where do you want me to go? There's so many places in the scripture that I could have gone, but I felt directed to start at the beginning. And so it's kind of cool how it worked out. I didn't know exactly where Pastor Seth was going to be preaching from last uh, week, but I realized that where he ended is where I'm beginning this week. And that was completely God-ordained. So that, it's just cool how God works those things out. And so I want to start in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you haven't read the, 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 the book of Genesis chapter 1, I'll kind of summarize it here real quick. Uh, in the beginning, God created, nothing out of, out of, God created something out of nothing, and it was good. And that's pretty much all you need to know about the first chapter of Genesis. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Um, And so I believe it's going to be up here on the screen in just a moment. It says, Then God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed out of the ground. And the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's two trees there. And something very important to realize is that in the first chapter of Genesis, we see a lot of things about God calling something into existence. Him saying, uh, let there be, and then it was. But this is the first time that he does something very unique and special. He actually takes with his hands, he scoops down the ground that he had created, and he forms something. And that tells us there's something unique about this creation. And there's something unique about us as, cre- as creatures we have an, have an ability to worship God in a different way than anything else that God has created. We have an ability to do it intentionally. We have an ability to worship through relationship. We have an ability to connect with God at a level that plants and animals and things they, they absolutely do not have. They don't have the ability to do that. So there's something very special about this creation. And he put, a, he put man in the garden. And there's two trees there, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll, we'll talk about those a little bit more in a second. In the, in the verses to follow, we see that uh, 
God sees that man needs a, needs a suitable companion, and so he creates woman out of the rib of man. A lot that we can say about that, but for the sake of time, we're going to skip down to verse 25. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and ashamed. Now, I've read that verse, I don't know how many times. It's one of those things you kind of take for granted when you think of Adam and Eve. They're naked. That's just kind of something that you, that you assume. We know these things, but we really don't give it much thought. Well, as I was studying out, I, I did give this some thought, and it struck me whenever I read it this time. And it said, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, here's why that's weird to me. Because throughout the rest of Scripture up until this point, we see a lot of vague descriptions of things. We see that things were, but we don't know what they looked like. We see that things, uh, even, even Adam, we don't really know what he looked like. It doesn't tell us. But it takes the time to tell us what they weren't wearing. That just seemed a little strange to me. And, and here's another reason why it's strange to me. In, in this day and age, we have abundant resources when it comes to writing documents, when it comes to, to things like that. Right now on my iPhone, I have 104,786 unread emails. Can anybody relate to that? That's a lot. And if I were to print those off and just scatter them through the room, the room would be full, right? So what my point is, in this day and age, paper uh, documents are a commodity. But in the ancient, ancient world, that was not the case. It was very difficult to come across paper. It was very difficult to, uh, to write things out. So when they took the time to write something out, it was intentional. Every word had purpose, okay? And so the author of this, which we believe to be Moses, I believe had a reason in telling us that they were naked. So I decided to look into this a little bit more and, uh, and kind of continue reading. So they were naked. Not only were they naked, but they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. And my first thought was, well, why would they be? Why would they be ashamed? It's just the two of them out in the garden, the animals and God. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So I looked a little bit deeper into ashamed. And if you're not aware, the, the Bible was not originally written in the English language. It was written, this particular passage would have been written in a Semitic Hebrew language, which is very ancient, very old. So if you really want to kind of get down to the bare bones of what, uh, what was going on, it's good to, good to kind of study those out. And so the word here, ashamed, is the Hebrew word bash. Bosh. And bosh was used generally to convey not just embarrassment, not just shame, but a deep-seated shame about something that needed to be hidden. Something, something that needed to be hidden. It wasn't, it wasn't something that you wanted to share with anybody. It wasn't something that you wanted anyone to know. And in this case, it was conjugated in the uh, imperfect form. And so the best translation, the best articulation would be that they were naked and not ashamed before one another. So there was a relational dynamic between it. They weren't ashamed. They had nothing to hide between themselves. And we can also conclude they had nothing to hide be before God. So it just seemed a little strange. Again, why would they need to be ashamed of being naked? That just didn't, it just didn't settle well with me. So I kept reading. I kept doing some study. And uh, what I came across was that the word naked, and I think we're going to put it up on the screen here in just a second. Uh, so you can kind of see what, what I came across. The word naked is the Hebrew word asham, or aram, I'm sorry, aram, naked. And... Um, I kept reading a little bit further, and in Genesis 3.1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And when I came across the word crafty, I saw a very close similarity. If we can go back to the other slide with, with the, uh, the Hebrew words there. An interesting similarity that these two words are very similar. The only difference are going to be these dots on the side. And in the Hebrew language, um, the, the letters are only consonants. If you have vowels in the word, then there's vowel pointings, which are these dots. So they can kind of change the way that it's pronounced some, but they're very similar, almost identical in the way that they're constructed. 
And that's because they share a common root. They share a common root that meant crafty or, uh, or depraved or deceiving. Now, whenever you're talking about the biblical languages, there's a pitfall that you have to be very careful of. And so I want to be very clear and say that I am not saying that these words are the same, that they should be read the same, or that they were mistranslated. What I'm saying is that there's a similarity between them. They share, they share something very interesting. So we see that, that Adam was naked, Adam and Eve were naked, and the, and the serpent was crafty. So in Genesis 3, um, 2, and moving forward, it says, The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You, sh- you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave it also to her husband and he ate too. This is referred to as the fall of man. This is the first time that sin, that rebellion against God is recorded. And there's something interesting about the way in which it was written to describe Adam as naked and to describe the serpent as crafty. And in Genesis 3, 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings as a way to hide. They were naked before. We just saw that in the text. Now they're naked, and they feel a need to hide. There's something interesting in the similarity between these two words because because of how similar they are we can see that there was a similarity in something about Adam and a similarity in the serpent. In fact, Adam here began to realize that he was more like the serpent than he was like God. That there was something deep within him that reminded him of the serpent. Herman Hess has a quote that says, If you hate a person, you hate something in him that is also in yourself. What doesn't bother us, what we don't hate doesn't disturb us. There's something very significant about when he looked at the serpent and saw a mirrored image of himself. It's a propensity to sin. It's a tendency to rebel. It's this deceptiveness, this depravity, this this thing within each of us that rebels and turns against God. This thing within us that, that just can't seem to follow God's instructions. We know that it's the right way. We know that it's what God's commanded, but we just can't seem to do it. It's in all of us. And if we're honest, we'll know it's there. So what does Adam do? He begins to sew together fig leaves, begins to pick things up, and he begins to cover himself. That's the tendency of all of us whenever we realize that there's something to hide. That's exactly what we do. We hide it. We cover ourselves. We we, we wrap ourselves up in this, and and we try to to hide. And in the next verse... This is Genesis 3, 18 through 13, Genesis 3, 8 through 13. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to man and said, Where are you? Adam said, I, I heard the voice of you in the garden, and, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Now, you might be thinking today, this is great stuff. This is, this is really cool. I'm glad I learned this. But what does this have to do with worship? 
what does this have to do with, with a deeper understanding of worship? And in order to kind of speak on that a little bit, I want to jump ahead in our story, and I want to pick up in 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 22. Now, to add some context to what's going on here, King David had just been anointed king over all of Israel, okay? And uh, all of the tribes were coming together. They were acknowledging him as, him as king, and uh, he wanted to establish his kingdom in the right way. And how he wanted to do that was to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God, they believed the presence of God was kept. And so wherever that Ark was, there was something special, some, some deep worship that, be, that happened with the people and, and where it was in their midst. And David wanted to bring that into the capital city of his new kingdom. And so he did. And at this point in time, the, the ark had been kept at the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. So they, they went to his house and they brought the ark into the city. And David didn't just say, well, I just want to bring the ark in. So send out my, my best man, bring it in. He did something very special. And it says in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 14, and David was dancing before the Lord. He was in the front of the procession. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, some, uh, some translations will say that it was a priestly garment, okay? Either way, it's the same thing. It, it was a type of garment that, was, uh, that, that the priest would have worn. It was a covering, but there's nowhere in Scripture or in any kind of historical document where we ever see that it was a full garment. So there was a, there was a portion of, of undress with what he was doing. And we'll, we'll see the significance of that in just a moment says he was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all of the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord and shouting and the, sound of, and, and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, this is uh, David's wife, the daughter of Saul, the former king, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in the place in which the tent uh, which David had, had, had pitched for it and then in verse 20, it says, But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of the servants as one who is foolish, one who shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me the leader over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will be more, I will be more lightly esteemed than this. Some translations say, I will become even more undignified than this. You see, David understood something about worship. He understood that if he was going to worship God, he couldn't cover himself with his status. The fact that he was in a linen ephod means that he wasn't wearing his kingly garments. He wasn't wearing the things that set him apart from everybody else. What he did is he understood that it wasn't his reputation. Now, David had a great reputation. If you read through Scripture, you'll see he, he, he won many battles. He won the respect of the people. He had a reputation that he could have lived on for the rest of his life. And he chose not to live into that. He chose to worship God vulnerable. He chose to worship God transparently. He chose to worship God saying, I don't deserve what you've given me, but I have it. He chose to worship God saying, you know what, there's something within me that was within Adam, but I'm going to choose not to cover myself. I'm going to choose to worship you transparently. I'm going to choose to expose my deep emotions to you, the things that maybe no one else understands, but I'm going to expose them to you because that is what true worship is. How many of us today have things that we hide behind? Things that we cover ourselves with because we don't want people. We don't want people. We don't want God to see 
what's there. We don't want, there, there's things within us that we just, there's hurts, there's deep wounds that we don't want anyone to know about, much less God. And often we do this by going through the motions. Come to church on Sunday, makes us feel good. We go home, life kind of goes back to normal, right? We do the things that make other people say, wow, they've got it together. We come to church and our life may be falling apart, but what do we do? We have the smile on our face. How's everything going? Oh, it's great. When in reality, it's not. When in reality, things are falling apart. And it's one thing to do that with others, but we do the same thing with God, don't we? When we pray, we don't let God see what's really there. We don't open up our hearts. We, don't, we, we have a hard time letting God see the deep places that just, that just hurt us. It's so much more comfortable to hide behind the motions. It's so much more comfortable to hide behind the things. Just like, just like Adam, he began to sew together his own garments. He began to cover things. We do the same thing. We, we bring things together to cover ourselves. We bring things together that make us feel safe, that make us feel less vulnerable. And I think the real reason for that is because of fear. This is my fear this morning. I fear that our faith has become a hobby to hide behind. I fear that our faith has become a standard that we try to live up to so that others think we have it together. We're afraid of what others will think if we really open up. And more importantly, we're afraid of what will happen if we encounter a real, true, and living God. A God who can see beyond these things. A God who is holy and upright. Why did Adam hide? Because he was afraid. Because he was afraid of what might happen if God knew. If God saw his nakedness. He hid those things. C.S. Lewis once had a quote. And he said, It is always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry. It's alive. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back. I would have done so myself if I could. And proceeded no further with Christianity. An impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside of our own heads, better still. A formless life force surging through us. A vast power which we can tap best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord. Perhaps approaching at an infinite speed the hunter, king, husband. That is quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, suddenly draw back. Supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. Worse still, supposing he had found us. There's something deeply profound about that. And it's, it's the same thing that Adam experienced in the garden. It says that he, he heard God coming. It says he heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. Here's God coming at an infinite speed. This isn't just the thought of God. This isn't just the stories that we hear about God. This is a true encounter with God. And what did Adam do? He said, I can't let God see who I really am. I have to hide. 
I have to hide. I have to put something together. Throughout, throughout history and societies, we see every religion except for Christianity, every religion has some way of coming together and saying, if I do this, then I'll be righteous. If I do that, then I'll be covered. If I do any of these things, then maybe somehow God won't see who I really am and maybe I'll earn his love. Maybe I'll earn his respect. That's exactly what's happening with Adam here. He, he begins to hide. In the text, we, we expect to see God respond in a certain way. The charge was, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. Right? So we expect to see a raged, filled, wrath-filled, angry God coming to Adam saying, what did you do? Wiping the slate clean, starting over, saying, well, that was a mistake. I got to start over. Right? That's what we expect. But that's not, that's not what we see. Instead, we see this. And God said, this is in verse 11, and, and he said, who told you that you were naked? It's an interesting question. You see, it wasn't a surprise to God. He already knew. All the things that Adam was trying to hide, God already was well aware of. He wasn't shocked when Adam said, I'm naked. He said, how did you know? Who told you? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We expect to see God as rage, rageful and, and angry and wrathful because that's exactly how we expect to see God in response to us. We expect that somehow if we're transparent, if we're open before God, he won't accept us. How could he accept me for the things that I've done? How could he accept me for the thoughts that I have? The person that I really am under all these things that I try to put on myself. There's a lot of dysfunctional relationships in our life. How many times have you op tried to open up yourself and been vulnerable with someone only to be rejected as a, as a result? But we have to stop seeing God through the lens of our own dysfunctional relationships. And we have to start seeing God through the lens of the father that he is. Father with open arms who, just like within this case, I, I, I can picture the grief in God's heart saying, Adam, how did you know? You didn't need to know. I had covered you. I made you in my image. I called you my son. I knew that you were naked, but I covered you in my love. But you, 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 you decided to go off on your own. You decided to search things out. And as, as the serpent said, now you have wisdom and now you know. I had covered you. Our worship needs to be transparent. God wants a relationship with us. And if we're going to be true worshipers, if we're going to find a rhythm of worship in our lives, we have to find a way to open ourselves up to God. When things aren't right, tell him that. When things aren't going good, tell him that. When we're angry, tell him that. Share that with him. He wants to know. He already knows. He wants to see. Uh, this question gets asked a lot. Did Adam and Eve make it to heaven? an interesting question I've heard a lot of theories about it some say no some say yes I say yes and here's why at the end of the story there's a portion that gets overlooked there was a consequence for Adam and Eve's sin they were kicked out of the garden they had to go live on their own things were changed things were different but it says that God took and made coverings for Adam and Eve 
coverings from animals. I don't know about you, but if I had to choose, I would much rather choose coverings made of animal skin than I would of figs and things that I found and put together. The covering that God has is so much more sufficient than anything else that we could put together for ourselves. Many scholars believe that this, this instance, what was actually taking place here, was the very first sacrifice for sin. And that it was, a, it was, a, it was something that would point to Christ. That there was a sacrifice made, blood was shed, and that that which was, which was put to death was covering them. That's exactly what we find in Jesus Christ. That the things that we put together, the things that we, we bring together, they won't do the job. But what God can provide. But we have to be transparent. We have to be vulnerable. We have to expose ourselves and say, God, there's places in me that I don't want you to see, that I'm afraid if you see that you won't want me, but I have to take the risk. I have to take the risk because I can't do life without you. I have to have the relationship that you offer. Today, if you're hearing this message and it's the first time that you've ever really thought about things this way, if, you, if, you've, never, if you've never considered the grace of God in your life and you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm going to give you the opportunity today to do that. To say, God, here I am. Here's all of me. I need your covering. I can't put it together myself anymore. But I also want to give an invitation for those of us who have been doing this for a while who have been going through the motions, who our spirituality has been a hobby. But you know that's not it. You know there's more. You know there's something deeper. And in a moment as we move into a time of worship, I just want to give the invitation today to say, if there is something in your life that you're hiding from God, and I'm not just talking about sinful things, that very well may be the case, but I'm talking about the places in your life, the experiences that you've had, the pain that you've experienced, that you, you, you've, you've hid. Maybe you've even hid it from yourself. That's where God needs to be. That's where we need to meet God. That's what true worship is. If we can be vulnerable with God each and every day, the reason why this sermon is at the end of the series is because if we can figure out how to have rhythm here, everything else will fall into place. 